0: Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will bring you an inspiring person to help you improve in all areas of your life. We'll be chatting with friends old and new who have incredible stories and experiences to share. We'll be listening to some of their obstacles and how they've shown resilience to overcome them. Each episode should give you value and influence and inspire you to your greatness. So, welcome to Making It Happen. Uh, We're on episode number 15, and I'm on location again. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by a very good friend of mine. Uh, my next guest, this is now a bit of an introduction, I hope I'm doing it justice, is an international speaker delivering programs on leadership and goal setting. He's a three time author, and um, he's completed some amazing challenges, such as 32 marathons in 32 days. And I'm going to take a breath before I say the next one, and 10 Ironmans in 10 days. He delivers uh, goal-setting and public speaking workshops throughout the country. And I'd love to welcome Jerry Duffy. Good morning, Tom, and good morning to
1: all our listeners.
0: Good morning, exactly. We're in the wonderful crisp morning of Mullingar. I'm delighted to be joined by you. So Jerry, as I do at most of the guests, I'd love to go back. Um, obviously, you have your own business now. Where did that all begin? Can you tell us a little bit about growing up and how you transitioned to have your own business?
1: Sure. So I left school at left school a long time ago in 1985 to be exact. So that'll give listeners a clue to my age. So just had a milestone last year, a significant milestone. Um, left school somewhat motivated, but then funny enough, Tom, what happened to me was ten. I, I I was looking up. I got a I got a good job at 21, um, but at 27 over the sorry over the next four or five, six years, I just began slowly to just creep into comfort zones and that started to to just play itself out in a variety of ways in terms of just my motivation around my job, motivation around my health and my fitness and my attitude and um, and I didn't realize it at the time it 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 was almost unnoticed but at twenty seven I was four and a half ton heavier than when I was left school, and I was a very unmotivated person and um I had a bit of a watershed moment I had a photograph taken, and the photograph jolted me. A little bit, because I I recognised somebody else in the photograph, but I didn't recognise myself. And I, I knew I had a weight issue, but this kind of made it front and centre. So as I reflect on my life in later years, and certainly now, that was definitely... I didn't realise it at the time, but it certainly was a significant moment in, in kind of maybe the next chapter of my life.
0: And Jerry was when you were growing up at you that stage, was sport a big part of your life that led you into triathlons or marathon running or... What was the t- that was obviously the tipping point that imagery
1: well what ha- i went to a boarding school and the boarding school had lots of sports on offer and i played all sports in school i was a i was very average but i loved all sports uh one sport in particular my dad was big into golf so when I became an adult I I kind of began to play a lot more golf and it was a big big thing but if I'm being honest uh running which I only took up running at the age of 27 really and over the next kind of five six seven years right through into my into my early and even my mid-30s I was very modest in terms of what I was doing I was just running on my own never entered a race or anything like that but but it became it became just a really important part of my life, and, and I call it exercise. I don't tend to call it running, and the reason is because I now encourage people to exercise because I think it is such a friend and such an important part of our lives, but but some people are not into sport, but but I believe the body needs and values exercise hugely, and for me, that exercise at the time was running. I only got into, into triathlons maybe 16, 17 years ago around. Or three or four, um, I began to get into those and then I got into marathon running and and it kind of took off from there.
0: And Jerry, did you, when you started running, did you see the weight just drop off and did you start feeling a little bit more confident in yourself or what was that? Were you getting addicted to training or exercise?
1: At the time, I I, I didn't realize it, but I, I had a couple of goal setting learnings and now I'm big into goal setting and I teach goal setting but at the time I kind of stumbled across these strategies and I didn't even realize they were strategies at the time but one of my strategies was uh, I kept the photograph because the photograph made me unhappy. And that became a strategy later in life to just maybe have imagery in front of you, maybe to motivate you. Because when I looked at this photograph that was taken of myself at 27, it made me unhappy. So I kept it in front of me. And I sp- set a specific target in terms of weight loss, which is again is something that, that that we don't often do on our goals. We I want to get as fit as possible. What does that mean? I want to I lose lots of weight. What does that mean? So I, I set a target of losing three and a half stone over 18 months and I it was much more sustainable and much more realistic and much more likely to lead to sustained kind of behavior rather than impulsive behavior in terms of weight loss and I I achieved that and I was getting all these maybe learnings without even consciously being aware of them at the time
0: and Jerry so you're in a good job at the time and what made you move away from that?
1: Yeah, so I, I was in a good job, um, and I I was now in my early to mid thirties, kind of thirty two ish around around that era, and I just felt I'd worked for this company for quite a few years. I I reached a position of sales manager in the company, and there was nowhere else to go because my boss, uh, to this day is it, I still keep in touch with, um, and but but he wasn't going anywhere, and I, I just I I'd, I'd had enough at that stage. I, I felt. I had a bit of an inkling to open my own business. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I just felt uh, maybe I'd I'd seen the value of leaving comfort zones in other areas of my life. And I said, well, maybe this is a comfort zone, albeit a big one, that you could leave. And so I made that decision. um, I think it was in 2002 I made the decision, Tom, that I was going to go and open my own business. And I looked at, well, what, what I had an interest in, and I had an interest in property. So I set about the early stages of maybe creating that. And then in 2003, I made that leap. And I've been working for myself ever since, albeit in in, I'm now in in another completely new chapter of, of business.
0: And I suppose if we get into the speaking side of things, Jerry, do you remember doing your first gig or speaking gig or when you were asked to gig? What was that like?
1: That's a really interesting question because I I'm now a professional speaker and I do the kind of things that you were kind enough to mention earlier on, but I, I arrived into the world of speaking in the previous business I was in, and I arrived into it very unmotivated to do it, Tom. If I'm being honest, because I was terrified of public speaking, but it arrived at my door in the business I was in where I had to do this 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 uh, speaking presentation in front of an audience, and I was so afraid. This was in September 2005. You know, I was so afraid I had to go to a hypnotist to speak to four people. I Even after that, I had no desire to it. But, you know, sometimes we, we might question maybe doing something. But I discovered an expression that small keys can open big doors. And sometimes things arrive at our doorstep that we might shy away from. But maybe life can reward us for maybe leaving that comfort zone and challenging ourselves. Because I did that talk. It changed my whole psychology, Tom, because it was such a fear Um, But if something doesn't challenge us, it doesn't change us. So it changed me because it was such a challenge. And I remember walking out of that room, having done that talk, having taken that leap, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what else have you been telling yourself you cannot achieve? Because if you can achieve this, you can achieve anything that you put your mind to. And my, my whole... Thinking shifted in that room, and it really began to play out over the next number of years, where I, I just began to look at other areas of my life and challenge myself to go to higher levels because I'd seen the value in it, and my confidence was rising with that.
0: And Jerry, if you don't mind, I'd love to just talk about that fear. Um, I know when I started speaking, you're always conscious of everyone else's opinion. Is that what was holding you back for those four people, or what was the story you were telling yourself?
1: Yeah, so I, I've researched because now I, I, I'm fortunate enough to teach this and I am passionate about not just doing it, it myself in terms of presenting and public speaking, but in teaching it to other people because I was the least likely speaker on the planet. Um, and for me and, and my research tells me that the fear of public speaking or nerves, it's a fear of judgment it's a fear of what other people will think and when I learned that I reflected on on that fear that I had and that's exactly what was at the core of it we're worried about what other people will think of us or how we will come across or how we will look or whatever and what I realized was I was gifting away control whereas I now put value on myself and I say, well these people are coming into a room for a reason you know they've they've obviously been for whatever reason they want to come and listen to you and and so to focus on the message or the benefit which is a much more valuable strategy because when you're thinking about the benefit of what's in it for your audience or or the message that you're trying to get out you're not thinking about yourself and and so for me um i i I just i went from that first talk i ever did in september 2005. my next talk was two years later i still had no desire to do it but my brother got married and and i tried to encourage him to ask somebody else to be best man because i knew it involved a speech i still didn't want to do it i was still in a different business i still had no idea i was going to do what i do now but I did that talk, I, I, I did the, the best man speech, and um, that kind of got me up to another ladder, and then I started to do some local talks in my community, and then in 2009, I was in that business, it, that original business, and I couldn't make it work, Tom, we were at the height of a big word beginning with R, which I'm sure people can remember that time, just those difficult economic times for almost everybody, and you know, this is where small keys can open big doors. I, I, I business I knew I couldn't make it work the one I was in and I still had my commitments to, to meet and I went away to think just for three days which is something I now do myself on a regular basis and encourage other people to do is to do that deeper thinking just to just to stop and, and really get out of your life maybe every so often or get out of your business and look back in it's such an important thing to do and I went away for three days just to think and I wrote down this is in 2009 all of my skills and all of my value and the things I would love to do with my life like what could I what would I do if 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 there was no rules and I realized oh my gosh see I'd done lots of talks at this stage and I now got got through the fear to a large degree I was still nervous but the fear the fear was certainly dissipating slowly but I knew once I got through the first three or four minutes of a talk I absolutely loved it so I wrote down, well, you, you, you can do public speaking. And actually, once you get through it, you know, you really enjoy it. I wrote down, I love business. And so I saw myself, I love goal setting. And I was very fit physically and I, I, I because of th- I was now doing Ironmans and all kinds of things. And I began to tie all of these into what I felt was uh, this could be a value to the marketplace. Talking about goal setting, talking about the value of physical exercise, and um, talking about some goal setting strategies to achieve really big dreams. And uh, I saw myself delivering those in a, in a corporate context. So I made that decision in late 2009 that I would create a business in that field. And that's how I arrived at where I am today 10 years later.
0: Well, Brilliant. And Jerry, did it all, how did the growth happen? Did it all snowball or was it a person that saw you speak and it was on to the next one? How did that growth happen?
1: Yeah, so I did some talks. I, you mentioned earlier on about doing 32 marathons in 32 days, and I did that with a friend of mine in 2010, and certainly that got some publicity, uh, but but still I, I was in the early stages of really still kind of working out the idea of what I would do, and on a personal level I was still into extreme sport, and I, I did an event a year later, the, the 10 iron distance triathlons in, in 10 days, and that got quite a lot of publicity. And f- I came back from the UK, having been lucky enough to finish that event, and it really challenged me to get to a higher level. But it was feeding into other areas of my psychology as well, because I was just, I guess, stretching myself. And that's where the growth comes, is is, is in the doing the uncomfortable. And anyway, so I, I came back from that talk, or sorry, from that event, and I got a phone call a couple of weeks later from from uh, a couple of really big companies that had heard about this event, knew what I now did for a living, and they invited me in to work with them. And there were some very, very big corporates. And um, that was in August, September of 2011. And I remember at the time getting some mentoring advice from a lady. And she said, Jerry, she said, I shared my ambition with her to do this full time. And she said, she told me what I needed to hear, Tom. She said, Jerry, I'll give you a year at best because next year it'll be somebody else, you know, so you've got to be the very, 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 very best and you've got to always be proactive and always trying to get better at these things and I'd like to think I had that as a value anyway. I really pride myself if I'm going to do something uh, in areas of my life that are important. I have an ambition to become the very best that I can be and the only way I will know if I'm doing that is if I live uncomfortably. So if I'm working this week and it feels comfortable, well, then I'm not true to that value. So every week I have to be doing something that improves me or that gets me to a higher level. And so every talk that I do, I need to be able to tangibly see where the, the growth is for me. And if all it, all it means really is improving by 1%. And sometimes we, I need to grow by 10% or 20%. I found a much more valuable strategy for me is just to improve by 1%. But if you do four or five talks a month, well, then you're improving by four or 5%. You multiply that over a year or two, it's amazing where you can go. And the thing, what I've discovered is if, if a company hires me to speak and they're attracted at this, this standard and I keep raising the standard, well then it's likely that those clients might want to come back to me and it will attract new clients as well because if I'm raising the standards, then you become more attractive to companies. But the key is to look within ourselves and to, not to settle because I'd made this mistake in that company where I was years and years ago. I went in every day and did the minimum, Tom. Now I go in every day and I try and improve just by by, by grains of growth.
0: Jerry, I'd love to delve into where i suppose the 32 marathons in 32 days came from that for me is a massive massive i've only done two completed two marathons myself but where did that come from where did that drive come from or
1: Sure. So I, was, I, I did my first marathon. Uh, I, it got me to a higher level. It massively challenged me. Uh, I'd never stepped up to that distance before. I made a typical mistake. I went out too fast. Yeah. Uh, I learned a big lesson. I'd never forgot it. I've n- thankfully never made that mistake since that I can remember. Um, and anyway, I, I signed up for my first Ironman, went and did that in 2008. And at that time, I remember somebody had given me a loan of a book. And I was very inspired by the book. And I got the idea of the 32 maritons in 32 days out of the book. And I I, I read that book in September 2008. And instantly, the day, I remember coming up with this idea on a Saturday afternoon in my office of my old business. I was on a Saturday afternoon. I got this visual vision in my head of a marathon in every county on the island of Ireland. And I immediately knew I would do it. Um, I, I immediately pictured it in my head, I, I saw the last day we'd run it in the, uh, the last day would be in my, in my hometown. Um, the guy that gave me the loan of the book ironically was a guy called Ken Whitelaw who ended up sharing that journey with me. But I knew Tom at the time that I wasn't nearly fit enough and I was very honest with myself. And can only really come into the picture a year later because I set myself a two-year timeline to achieve this goal. And this is a big thing I've learned about achieving what on the face of it might sound like a, a massive, massive goal. But I, I, I had enough respect for it. And you mentioned some books I've been fortunate to write. I wrote a book called The Goal Getter. And chapter one in The Goal Getter, which is all about goal setting strategies, the number one rule in goal setting is to bring respect to your goal and so my definition of respect in this area was I told nobody for the first year and um, I said you're not nearly fit enough so people won't take you seriously so it became a two-year goal I spent a year getting up to a much higher level of fitness than than where I had been to when I came up with the idea and that really stretched me I so that I did a big event in 2009 I did a double iron distance event and I'd previously done Ironman so this was double that and that Certainly, I grew physically in that in terms of of getting to that higher level, but the confidence I got as well from it. But then, even then, I said, well, what got you to this level won't get you to the next level. So I spent another year getting ready to be able to do a marathon uh, a a day for 32 consecutive days. And at that stage, Ken was on my crew for the Double Iron Distance event, and and we'd become really good friends. And if I'm being honest, we, we also wanted to do it for charity. And I was very... If I'm being honest, I'm a quiet person. I I I still had some issues, you know, around social issues around putting myself out there, and I felt just very uncomfortable. And maybe I don't want to contradict what I said earlier on about challenges, but. But putting myself out there to create awareness to raise the kind of funds that we wanted to raise really daunted me. So I asked Ken, any chance that you might come in as part of this? Because I love the idea of somebody else sharing that, maybe that, that, if I could use the word, that load with me. And he thought about it, but he came in and said, 100%, percent, I'll do it with you. So it became the two of us driving that event to, to, to get ready for it. So we spent a year getting ready and in, in the summer of 2010, we were, we were fortunate to, to make that goal happen.
0: And Jerry, what was it like... Day thirty-two, coming up to that last mile, was it all your hard work paying off or what was going through your mind?
1: Yeah, so the 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 interesting thing about the thirty-two marathons, Tom. Again, we go back to the thing of bringing respect to every goal. So. I train and can train monumentally hard for that in 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 that final year and particularly in the last kind of 23 24 weeks where like we got up to 110 miles a week in training which is a lot of running like it's I think it's like over four marathons a week in training. So we prepared as well as we could but on day 1 of the 32 marathons we ran a time that was very comfortable for us. And that was one of the keys, you know, we were going at kind of about 70% of what we were capable of. And as a result of bringing that respect After about two weeks, I started to get used to it. Ken wasn't as fortunate as I was. Lady luck didn't quite shine on him the way it did on me. He got injured early. I I was fortunate I didn't. Um, So yes, he finished them all, but did a whole different experience to mine. I was very blessed. I had no injury issues whatsoever a couple of niggles and that as we went through on the eve of the last night though i got food poisoning so i ended up in in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a medical uh, out of hours facility just getting a drip put into me because i, ju- I just got uh, food poisoning and um it, it so the last day I, I didn't feel well at all but if i'm being honest the the the, the euphoria of finishing it was just overrided any sickness that i was feeling and with a mile to go all of our family came and ran that last bit with us and we had a huge number of people come out in the last day. We would over 200 runners joined us and it was it was absolutely fantastic and a very, very special day in our hometown. I about one mile from where you and I are, are recording this right now. It was a very special day for, for, for both of us.
0: It's amazing. And after that, did you take some time or was it, okay, this 10 Ironmans in 10 days, this is, this is something that's on my radar?
1: No, I didn't. I... I I, took, I only took a couple of days off because I think one of the worst things we could have done was stopped running altogether because th- like you go from one extreme maybe to the opposite extreme. So we were very conscious of we can't just all of a sudden go off a cliff and stop exercising. Plus... A week could turn into a month, could turn into six months. So I, I actually ended up doing the Dublin City Marathon two or three months later just to stay connected with a level of fitness. And I was still very motivated to to really stretch myself in in certain areas of my life that were really important to me. And endurance sports was still a big, big, big priority. And so I went looking for something even more challenging, and I found it over the next three or four months. And that was the the 10 iron, iron distance triathlons in 10 days and i i I made that decision in that winter i'm going to do this now i had a very strong level of fitness but still i knew i'd have to go to a whole new level so in january of 2011 i think it was the 6th of january was my official training plan albeit i was very fit starting but i started a training plan on that date and then i went to whole new levels of, of training and whole new levels of fitness over the next four or five months
0: and jerry just parking the, the fitness and endurance racing to one side for a moment. You talk about always wanting to improve in your public speaking. Um, what did you do? How did you improve yourself? Was it courses? Was it books? Was it surrounding yourself with some amazing public speakers in the world? What What was that journey like for you?
1: Yeah, all of the above. So number one was the desire to do it. And, and I talk about maybe for, for people listening to this, I've identified, you know, to be want to be the best in everything but maybe the most important things in our life are the things that we are most passionate about so that might be family you know it might be work because people might say well why should i be like why would i want to be the best in work well apart from anything else you know yes an employer might benefit but but happiness comes from growth time and we spend a quarter of our lives in a place called work and what i've discovered is i will be as happy in work as I decide I'm going to be. And I used to wait for other people to make me happy. But my life was ticking by. And it's me that goes into work every day. And I've discovered if I would not just go in and ask an ounce more, yes, my employer or the company might benefit, but my happiness index will go up. Because I do the same things every week, but, but because I've growth attached, I'm enjoying them more. So so they're great reasons why I do it. In terms of the, the public speaking. Lots of it. I got lots of coaching. I watched great speakers. I read books. Uh, I I used to put in tiny little improvements. How can I improve this talk? What's one thing I could do in this one-hour presentation that would get it to a higher level? And I, I was very fortunate to be very busy at speaking in 2012 2013 so and if I was committed to that then I was improving like I was doing probably two talks a week at that stage so maybe two percent of growth every week so that's a hundred percent every year and then 2013 2014 it got busier and busier and uh, so I found over time I'd like to think I'm unrecognizable from who I was then but all it is is microscopic improvements Tom but if if somebody hasn't seen me for a year well then they might see much bigger improvement than what i might see today
0: absolutely and i'm delighted to say i've taken part in a few of your workshops and i'll continue to take part in because i learn something every time i go back to them but jerry if there's anyone listening that maybe has uh, a fear of presenting or when i know when i first started presenting i used to use powerpoint as my crutch what would be some tips or takeaways or maybe just to start maybe to improve a little bit of their presentation skills
1: yeah i, I want to well, i'll give two or three quick tips if i could there's nothing like preparation tom and and what i used to do was i would and i learned the very first talk i ever did back in 2005 i learned this and this is a big tip i suggest is number one practice and i really would encourage people to practice like Put hours and hours of practice, even if it's only a one-off presentation, because I think you'll get th- see the benefit of it. But when you're practicing, consciously pretend the audience is really there in front of you. So if you're I- in your kitchen, convince yourself that the chairs, the five chairs around your kitchen table are five members of an audience. And talk to the chairs as if they're real human beings there. The refrigerator is somebody. The kettle is somebody. You know, the press is somebody a door is somebody that you know will be at the door like have fun with it really commit to that and i think your brain if you do that often enough when you come to do it your brain will say hang on now we've done this before because i did that for my first ever talk i got that advice from a friend of mine and it definitely helped another big thing that i believe will help people is to focus on your breathing because when we're nervous, we tend to speak quite fast. And that's a symptom that we mightn't quite be in control. So to take back control of your mind, focus on your breath. And for me, a simple tip of what I now do, because once this year I got about a nerves. It just came out of nowhere in March of this year. And I said, okay, what's your, what's your strategy here? And I went backstage, because I still had a bit of time, and I did a breathing technique where I breathed in for four seconds I hold for seven seconds and then I slowly exhale for ten or eleven seconds. So I call it the four, seven, eleven. And I would repeat that four or five times. And what that does, Tom, is that puts us back in control. And you go back to we spoke about what is the fear of public speaking. It's a fear of judgment. So focus on the message or the benefit rather than focus on yourself. Because while you're thinking about that, you won't you can't be thinking about yourself.
0: Absolutely. And I say and it's one thing I've taken from yourself. Um every time i present i always say two things the first is it's not about me it's about my audience and i'm always what can i give them something of value that they can take away in action that's my biggest thing in any presentation i'm talking to one person and i'm trying to work with them those are the two things i take away and jerry i try and ask my guests this a lot people talk about balance in life and how to find balance and actually my last couple of guests actually thought it was bs balance and there's no such thing as perfect balance but how do you juggle it all? I'm sure you've got personal stuff, I'm sure you've got business and family and relationships. How do you manage that all?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is to have conscious awareness of the fact that 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 it's important. Because if we're out of balance, nothing is going to change unless we change our thinking. So the, maybe the first thing is to maybe identify the areas of your life that are important. So like work is because we, we meet a lot of people that 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 maybe they're overbalanced in terms of I gotta be working and I appreciate some people, you know, will feel the need I have to be doing this amount of work. But maybe to look at, you know, to, to look at different areas of your life, like family, like work, like me time, like fitness. You know, like spirituality or whatever it is we're into or just having fun or finances, whatever, the different areas of your life. And just measure your current level of satisfaction, those here. You know, how satisfied am I at a ten? Because if I'm if I'm working monumentally hard on my ten, but I'm really honest to say, well, family is like a four. I, I've learned, for me certainly, you need we need to have balance whether we realize it or not. I, I know of a friend of mine that is is very stressed at work and he's very, very in the corporate sector and he's very ambitious but he's now working monumental hours just in terms of the environment that he's in the one thing that he doesn't do that he used to do is exercise exercise is gone by the gate and he will tell you if you were talking about i'm too busy for that this is much more important but the exercise i can see stress in him and i can see what i believe and he's even shared some things with me about how he's challenged by some things but i think that the one of the reasons he is that is because he doesn't have the exercise in balance because he's out of balance and i think if he was to just maybe to even do like 20 minutes less a day of work and maybe bring that into exercise, I think he would show up much more in balance, much more focused, much more energized um, and I think a lot happier as well and as I look as because I, I guess because I do this kind of work what I see, I'm not saying I'm right because maybe I'm wrong, but what I see is just that he's not in balance so th- it's to identify areas of life. If I had balance in my life, what are the core areas? Then reach your s- level of satisfaction those, And I think those numbers might throw up some interesting insights for you as a person when you d- when you take that conscious time out to just step out. You could do it in 10 minutes and identify maybe, well, what's low-hanging fruit here? You know, if I, if I'm saying family is two or three, you know, say it's a three what would i do to get that up to four and to set a, a goal a small stretching goal around that that might just help you and just get you to the next stage of having even more balance in your life
0: jerry you mentioned earlier about what i would probably call self-auditing um, and you said you went away for three days is that something you do regularly now or you challenge yourself on your business personal and what's actually going on
1: Yeah, so, you know, an ideal time is, you know, I would definitely step out of my business a couple of times a year. uh, And, for example, you know, we're on the eve of a new year now, and it's to, next year has nothing planned for me, you know, so nothing planned for my business. So... We, we tend to spend a lot of time in the urgent doing all the things, like we're all busy people, we've got clients, we're out doing talks or whatever, whatever it is we do, that's in the urgent. But the importance of important time, and I think Stevie Co- Stephen Covey in his book talks about this, you know, sharpening the saw. You know, he tells a story in that book about about um a man walking down the street one day, and he sees this um timber guy cutting down this timber in a forest, and it's a very hot summer's day. And the guy is feverishly cutting down the timber, and he stops to speak to him. And he said, What are you doing? And he said, What do you think I'm doing? I'm cutting down this tree. And he said, Why? And he said, Well, I have to have this entire forest cut down by nightfall. And the passerby throws in a, a thing. He says, um, Oh, I see by your saw, your saw is a little bit blunt. Why don't you take it? There's a saw sharpener just up the road. Why don't you take your saw to the saw sharpener and make it sharper? and he looks back at him frustrated. He said, I'm much too busy for that. Leave me alone. And he goes back to cutting down the the, the tree. And the moral of the story is, if we don't stop and maybe have a think at a deeper level, we could be doing something that's fruitful, but it could be something much more fruitful if we just stop for five minutes. So I do that regularly. Um, I do it also every Sunday, Tom, for just 20 minutes, where I stop and I think about the week ahead and I reflect on the week before. So there's lots of different times we can do this. We could do it once a year. We could do it for 20 minutes. I also in my goal setting programs i get people to identify in advance of the week what success looks like and then put a system and a process in place on a wednesday to stop for five minutes on a wednesday and reconnect with what you said you really want to get out of the week because if we do it on a wednesday just for five minutes it gives us an opportunity to react while we still have time to get the most out of that week whereas i used to wait until friday evening to reflect on it and then it's too late that time is gone forever
0: as you say, preparation and like a little creating good habits and self audit. Jerry, you mentioned, obviously, a book there, which I'm very fond of. Is there any recommendations or books that really stand out to you you'd recommend to any listeners that have helped you?
1: Yeah, so one book, um, and this is not the book I'm recommending, but people might be familiar with a book by Alan Carr called How to Give Up Smoking. And I, for, for me, I, I remember reading that book and it certainly helped me, but... I read a book years ago called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And for me, if the smoking one is in terms of our physical health, this book written by Dale Carnegie, I think in the 1950s, it helped me hugely with my mental health and it's called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. It's the one book that I would recommend to everybody. It's a very easy read. It's full of stories. It's full of people that, you know, might have been worried about things or challenged by things. And he just gives lovely anecdotes about real-life people. Like, he mentions who the people are and talks about this is what they were challenged by. And that book had a huge impact. And it's a bit like... um, The Alan Carr book, I think if you ask people what is it about the How to Give Up Smoking book, they won't be able to tell you. There's just something about the book that helped them stay off cigarettes. And for me, I'm not quite sure what it is about How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, but it definitely had a profound effect on me, and I still use some of those strategies to this day.
0: And Jerry, just while we're on the topic of books, um, do you feel everyone has a book in them, or is that where your journey with books came? You've three out now at the moment and working on a fourth as far as I know.
1: Yeah, does every? I'm not sure everybody wants to write a book. There is an expression: "There's a book in everybody," and there probably is. I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't know. Like, I, if I'm being honest, I love writing. Uh, when I was in school, I loved doing essays. I had no idea years later I would write a book. I had no ambitions, if I'm being honest, to, to, that I can remember to write a book in my in my teens or in my twenties. But later in life, I, when I was doing those Ironmans, I, I loved to just reflect on them, and I used to write down the experience of it. And that's where I really got into just getting excited about writing stories about what had happened in, in and documenting the timeline and those kind of things so so that's how i got into writing the first book and then the second book kind of followed from that
0: um jerry one thing i i ask most of my uh, guests is what's the best piece of advice they've ever gotten in life now you've given some I, I love a lot of the ones you've given already i love the small keys um open big doors i think that that's a gem for me now
1: yeah, thank you. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I, I, the very best piece of advice I, I I know it's out there. I just can't think of it at the time, but I do remember one piece of advice that I did get from a man, and I got this maybe 20 years ago. and That man sadly has passed on since, but he was a very wealthy, financially a very wealthy man, and I remember I met him one day, and we ended up having a chat, and he was a maybe the, the older man teaching this young. Like I was, what was I in my in probably I was probably 30 or something like that. And I really got on well with this gentleman, very successful in business, very successful financially. And we must have been having a conversation about that, because I always remember something he said to me. He had sold some shares that week, and I presumed that this was in tens of thousands or maybe even hundreds of thousands. And he shared to me, yeah, he said, he said, I made 800 pounds profit. He said, it's fantastic. Now, I just knew this man was a very wealthy man, like had a, lo- a lot of lot of financial wealth. But what he said to me was, I was almost a little bit taken aback by d- maybe the low figure relative. might have been a lot to me, but, mm. but maybe on the face of it, not to him. But I always remember somebody said to me, Jerry, he said, always remember a profit is a profit. He said, and sometimes we can get a little bit greedy and we can end up not. Because we get too greedy, a profit can turn into a loss. So here's this much older, wiser, very successful businessman with a lot of financial success. And I always remember that, never to get too greedy with anything. And that a small profit is still called a profit for a reason. And it Mm -hmm. was a lovely lesson that for whatever reason, it has really stuck to me to this day.
0: Brilliant, it's a bit of a gem, another gem there. Um, so Jerry, we, we finish off the podcast just with a little bit of a quick fire round. Um, it was favorite movie.
1: Favorite movie?
0: Oh. Are you a big film fan or TV? Or,
1: uh, I yeah, I, I, I'm i a big fan of Netflix, I have to say. Okay, yeah, I, I love Breaking Bad. I okay, yeah, yeah. I, I was slow to get into it at the beginning, but my gosh, I absolutely love it. Gets it gets addictive, addictive yeah. doesn't it? It does, yeah. Favorite movie? I have to say if Gladiator came on, I, I would probably watch it for the 27th time if it appeared on my screen over Christmas.
0: And um, a little bit off topic, but a uh, favourite place for a cup of coffee or a bite to eat? Anywhere across the country, where do you, where do you love? Uh,
1: favourite place for a bite to eat? Gosh, uh, I love, I um, better not mention any because rest- I know quite a few restaurateurs. <laughs> but um, there's some great local restaurants. There's Weir's in Multifarnham is a bit of a hidden gem. Um, I, I, there's a picture on the wall, Johnny Depp even arrived in there one night for dinner a number of years ago um, uh, so that's one of my definitely one of my favourite places and also Oscars in, in Mullingar I'm mentioning hometown places so they're two of my favourites. In terms of I gave up coffee three years ago Tom. i didn't, did you? Sorry, two and a half, I'm, I'm going into my third year of it um, I gave it up in, in September two years ago and uh, so I used to love going into coffee shops, I still love tea um, okay. so I, I, I but um, I I I do love going in and just sitting and reading a paper in in a in a nice I love quiet coffee shops I have to say no I don't like busy, busy environments I love quiet ones and I could sit there for an hour yeah
0: Well Jerry listen it's been an absolute pleasure having you um where can people find you and stay connected with yourself
1: Sure yeah delighted. Uh, com, and I tend to be on LinkedIn a lot uh, that's where I, t- I spend most of my time and also on on Facebook and Twitter as well but if people are interested in courses or in getting in touch jerryduffyacademy.com
0: And I can say I'd highly recommend his courses and I'm looking forward to get on to one in 2020. And one of my favorite books, and I'm not just saying because he's my guest in the box, I've got huge value out of it, The Goal Getter. It's been one of my favorite books. So listen, Jerry Duffy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board and thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it.